Welcome to a bonus series on the Life Giver Podcast. Made possible by the USO, these bonus episodes are from a monthly series called You're Leaving Again, where the USO is following Matt and I during our deployment, and we are sharing our authentic story with you. Whether you're going through your own deployment, our geo-batching, on an unaccompanied tour, or maybe getting ready to, this series aims to be the first of its kind. Real life, gritty, but resourceful content aimed to help you keep your marriage and family strong while you're apart. So whether you're a military spouse or a service member, this series is for you. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee, or head outside for a walk and listen in as Matt and I share what we are learning apart with you. Last time on the Life Giver Podcast. Remember that what you feel and what you think and what your opinions are and what your perspectives are in any of these circumstances are both individually valid. Like what you're experiencing as a supporting spouse at home is very valid and true to you. And what the service member is going through, it's very valid and true to them. And it's not necessarily that one's more right than the other, but it's, I think a lot of this reintegration is understanding and honoring each other's perspectives and needs and wants and where you're both coming from and not feeling shame for that. Not feeling Mm -hmm. like I had to get over my shame of, of like, no, it was actually, a very stressful deployment and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now for me, what's not okay is if I stay down there, mm-hmm. but it's, that doesn't say anything about me. It doesn't say anything about me as a spouse that it, 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 I didn't rock it better, I guess. So I think what we wanted to do is just kind of help you keep in mind both the energy and how the energy is shifting and changing and moving and adjusting and make sure that you kind of, you know, if you need to journal and write out your feelings in order to find your words, do that. Mm -hmm. Don't keep them to yourself though, if they're really important, especially if they keep coming up and they keep kind of surfacing. If you're kind of like on the brink of tears and you're like, I, you know, you probably need to communicate with your spouse because they want to win. They want to get it right. They want you to be taken care of and they need you to be in a good place. Mm -hmm. And so they can't help you do that if you don't communicate it. So it, it can feel a little bit like who goes first, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, but, and here's a big one we learned from the first deployment is, um, there is no competition here. There is no one person had it harder than the other, two very different parallel tracks two very different situations. Nobody wins the prize for who had the most difficult, most challenging season. Okay. Two very different experiences. So the question on the support network, somebody was asking, what was the support network while uh, while I was deployed? Grandparents, uh, friends, church. Um, Do you still rely on them when I come home as part of the reintegration? Um, Previously, we've had better support networks than we've had during this deployment, Mm -hmm. Um, whether that was proximity to family or we had a a closer um, uh, church network. I know with COVID, that um, that has made things extremely hard for for a lot of just mm-hmm. what would normally be a support network of going out and being able to hang out and, and spend time with family and friends. Um, so that makes it difficult. We're an EFMP family. And so we were constantly worried about our youngest who has, uh, has allergy-induced asthma. Um, we were blessed that uh, even though he did get COVID, uh, that it was not worse than it was. Um, and we've all been vaccinated, so we feel better about that now. But, you know, you did not have you didn't have a support network other than a couple of close friends 
close by who we knew we could call on anytime, day or night. Um, and you were able to call on them. And they were able to reach out to you. And, and the church did reach out a couple of times. Um, but uh, I think this one was more difficult. Yeah. So really me coming home, I think I was the support network. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, like you said, I did have like a, you know, but you know, when you're going for deployment, <laughs> Amazon was a huge support network, <laughs> almost too much, so, mm-hmm. too much. So I think we covered in a previous Never. series, you no. sent, sent us like a ping pong table. Yep. You, he made sure so that excited. in quarantine, we were entertained. Um, no, but to, to go back to the question, um, I did have some, some friends, like, especially during, um, when the boys had COVID and the ice storm, and I could not have gotten through that time had mm-hmm. I not had, um, his boss's wife that dropped off medicine for us, you mm-hmm. know, because I couldn't go to the grocery store. We were already in quarantine before the ice storm. And so I, there was some key moments that, um, were, literally a godsend for us to get through. Um, but him coming home was such a huge part of that support network of just the emotional and social, I think, energy that it was taking towards raising two teen boys. Um, and, and also just trying to stay strong through a lot of different things and a a lot of challenging stressors was really hard. Mm -hmm. But I think that what you're trying to ask that, um, about this question specifically is a, a lot of times during separation, you do rely more than you realize on neighbors and, um, small groups and other military spouses. And so what typically happens, um, we used to joke about this, um, our first deployment after that, I experienced it and spouses tend to joke about it with each other is that, um, when the service member comes home, it's like the, the understandably so the military spouses kind of like go back into their houses and nobody gets together with friends anymore. And, Mm -hmm. you know, um, visually I have in my mind in Colorado, we had, you know, this was before social media. Mm -hmm. And so everybody was outside all the time and everybody's taking care of each other's kids and everybody's at the playground and we're cooking out together. And, and there were so many meals that we just didn't make it just for our own family. We just Mm kind of helped each other with meals all the time. And, and so I I remember us talking about in the neighborhood about what it was like when, when a service member came home, it's like, we didn't see our neighbor for Mm -hmm. like months. And we were like, Oh, can I go knock on the door and say, I miss you? Like I miss having our potluck dinners and I miss taking care of each other's kids and you were my support Mm -hmm. network. And that's a real thing. It's Mm -hmm. a real thing. And so I think what I learned from that and Matt and I have talked about that is that it's okay for you to have that support network. Thank goodness we have Mm -hmm. it. And so that shouldn't necessarily be shut down entirely when the family comes home and there's reintegration. We, you need to be able to find that balance and ask for those things and say, I really miss hanging out with my friend. Can I go spend some time with um, my friend and and reconnect, even though you're home. And it's so important for you to be able to both Mm -hmm. ask for those things. The service member also experiences that too. I remember you coming home and saying, Mm -hmm. you know, you'd really formed some very strong bonds Mm -hmm. with um, those he had been deployed with. And he equally needed to go spend some time with them too and kind of get out of the house Mm -hmm. Um, because it can be overwhelming a lot for the service member too. So make sure you ask for those things and honor the support networks that you do have for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think our takeaway this time is using this time to make sure we continue to build up Mm -hmm. the support network that we actually need Mm -hmm. here. So that's a great question. Is it normal to be worried that I've changed and Mm -hmm. grown so much during deployment that my spouse won't love me? Oh, that's such a understandable, valid question. Mm -hmm. Um, I smile because I remember coming home from the first deployment and you had, um, you had become so strong in your decision-making. And meanwhile, here I am in the mountains of Afghanistan, like, and my life is just 
it's just kind of handed to me. You just kind of take what you get, you know? I mean, over there, if you fly, you fly. And if you don't, you don't, you know? It's just kind of like whatever, you know? You just have to kind of roll with the punches. And so who we were going into the deployment was it's completely not. reversed. Yeah. So I came home to, and I was like, I feel like I came home to a very angry spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, over time, I realized, huh, that's kind of who I was before I left for the deployment. <laughs> I was very decisive and I was very kind of aggressive. Um, and so there was that change that we had had where we were trying to figure out, okay, what's the new dance? What's the new normal in our relationship? Well, we had, we had both changed. I think this is true regardless of which deployment and what yeah. you go through. And regardless of what you go through in deployment, of course you're going to change because you're surviving. Right. Everybody is surviving different things, mm-hmm. right? And so for that first deployment, he survived a whole set of circumstances that there's no way I could have understood. And for more on that, my book, Sacred Spaces, really unpacks so much of what happened um, during that first deployment and the changes that happened in each of us and then what that reintegration was like and and what we both needed to learn from that process. Um, But I was also surviving back at home with these toddlers and trying to navigate um, surviving with those toddlers. And, and I had reached a point where I was like, I can't not be decisive or I can't anymore just get through accidentally during my day and, and let the world control my mood and control my day and let the kids even control my mood for my day. Like, so I had out of survival become a much more decisive person. Mm -hmm. And I own this in the book too, that I really, um, I didn't see it then I saw it later, but I really did turn into, I was angry. Mm -hmm. I was angry that, um, even though I respected the deployment and even though I, um, appreciated and loved being a military spouse and loved um, the military lifestyle. I was also angry at the fact that we had to spend that much time apart. I didn't like it. I didn't want to go through it. And Mm -hmm. I, and I didn't want to go through something hard and I was angry and resentful about that. And it took me a long time to own that. Mm -hmm. And to voice it and and process through it. Um, this last one was hard too. And there was days that I was upset about that too. Like I don't want, kind of like throwing my own temper tantrum. If I don't want to go through this, why does it have to be like this? And why do I have to be far from family and support, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so you do change, you mm-hmm. do grow more than you realize because you kind of are, you know, in the spouse community, we say, you know, we say we don't have a choice. Like when people go, how did you do it? Or why are you so strong? Or how did you become so strong? You'll hear spouses often say, I didn't have a choice. The truth is you did have a choice. Mm -hmm. You had a choice to either further decline Mm -hmm. or choose something different and grow. And so it is a very normal feeling to feel like I have changed and grown and adjusted and um, and it can be scary. And I've, I've been in the place where when he came home from that first deployment, I was decisive. I was in the best shape of my life, you know, and I had owned a lot of things in my life. And I, at least in my memory right now, I look back and say, I rocked it by the end, but I had an entire year to figure that out. Mm-hmm. This deployment was shorter and I felt like I didn't quite get that. And so in an interesting way, Um, I actually experienced the fear and worry that you were going to be impacted because I had not changed or grown enough. Uh And so it was interesting for me to actually feel a different set of feelings from the other side of things. And so I just want to say, and you can answer too, Mm -hmm. but I just want to say it is normal to feel that way Mm -hmm. that you've either grown or you've been affected by this time apart. And, and you're worried about like, are we going to be able to be on the same page and are we going to like each other as we are right? 
right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, all I can say is communicate, make sure that the ways that you have changed and grown Mm -hmm. still allows for room for your spouse. Mm -hmm. I think that where I see trouble with couples is when we don't create space where they can come back in the home. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if we're saying, I'm just going to do it all myself because that's the way um, I feel the most peace is loading the dishwasher the way that I want it or the routine the way that I want it and Mm -hmm. not allowing um, your spouse to come back into the equation, that's where it causes problems. But if you're, if you've grown in a positive way, mm-hmm. like own that to be yeah. excited about that, share that with your spouse, make sure you're explaining why and how you made those changes, because I, I have a feeling they're going to actually like that part of you. Yeah. So one thing uh, with family systems therapy, when you talk about change and changing a system, and I say that to to kind of answer the question, you know, early on in our marriage, when we were having struggles, this was way before we were in the military, um, you know, after a while of you attempting to manage me and my emotionality, you at some point, you were like, look, all I can do is keep my side of the street clean and be the best me that I can. And so you started, you decided for yourself to make changes and to grow and to mature for yourself. Now, of course, that upsets the system. Because she's no longer like having to, I'm no longer in charge of the the family system household with what, however I'm acting, right? I no longer have that impact to be able to, to shift or change or influence or motivate or manipulate mm-hmm. you with however I'm acting. You're making those decisions for yourself. And then I am then forced to make those changes. I can either, you know, I can either leave the situation you know, which was never a choice, never an option. And it, it usually is not an option and not a choice for most people. Um, I can either, you know, throw a tipper tantrum and try and get it back to what's comfortable and normal for me. Or like most people, they're finally like, well, I guess I got to grow with the system. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I believe that service members have playing to their strength is they are constantly having to change with every system. Like every time, spouses too, yeah, in a different way. Absolutely, yeah. we're constantly having to change and reinvent ourselves. I mean, you don't, you only really recognize it when you go back to a system, usually back to your your family of origin. You go back to a system that has not changed in years. I mean, it's changed, but by and large, you know, same homes, same environment, same cycles, mm-hmm. same dynamics, same dysfunctions, and you're like, wow, I uh, I don't know how I fit into this now. And, you know, I'm different than how I fit into it two years ago because of the things I've had to adjust, you know, whether it's new friends, new bosses, new homes, new schools, new doctor's appointments, no, new everything. And so it's not a bad thing. I think we are uniquely positioned to to grow and to change together mm-hmm. and, um, and to, to accept that challenge. And uh, so I would encourage you to, add, whoever asked that question, it was anonymous. Voice that as a concern to your spouse and say, look, here's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Here's how I've grown and I've changed. And I'm afraid that because of that, you won't love me. Now, that is incredibly vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. But then you give them the opportunity to be able to say, you know, I, you know, I guess we're going to find out, you know, either they're going to go, no, 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 I'll always love you. Or they're going to go, well, I love you, but I got I got to find out how that's what, who do I now have to be, you know, in this new dynamic, in this new normal? So I want to change and grow with you. So it can be a great opportunity for, for growth. And if, and if it's needing to go to counseling to say, here's what I've decided for myself. And you go to a counselor to say, how are we going to integrate that into our, into yeah. our marriage, into our family, then go so that 
they are allowed to be able to make those decisions for themselves and for their family of like, how are you guys going to grow together? So it could be some good changes that have caused some good changes in the family dynamic. So just to maybe give a little bit of an example, I mean, every couple is different. And so for us, fitness and healthy eating is is definitely important to us. And it's something that we go to to help with coping. And so in the first deployment, um, he was gone for a year. And so I really got heavily into that and was really um, eating really well. And I remember you kind of were doing, he was doing the best that you could mm-hmm. um, during the play to kind of match There's only that. so much you can do with him already. That's true. And and I remember when he came back, even for R&R, um, I was kind of in the stuck spot of, of trying to eat really as healthy mm-hmm. as possible, but he was very excited to be able to have access to a variety of foods. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, we were out of sync and I'm, and I'm not um, imposing health and fitness on, on all of you. And we're just telling this as an example mm-hmm. for what it's like to have this ebb and flow mm-hmm. of, of how you cope and how you change. And then, and I think it's a really good example mm-hmm. of like what's happening. It's like a physical example in front of you as a couple of what's happening inwardly too, Mm -hmm. right? Of that adjustment and that reintegration. And so, but I remember internally going, "Mm, I don't want to go out to eat for the 10th time because I'm really making a lot of great progress on my food, you know, and on my nutrition and and on my goals. And I was really excited about those goals and and then trying to reintegrate with that. I remember feeling that way. Mm -hmm. And then even for this one, he was able to work really hard on that this time. And I was really trying hard this time to apply what I learned from that first appointment and remember that and go, I really want him to feel like I'm supportive of where he is um, and, and the goals that he has for himself physically and nutritionally. And so trying to navigate that. And so, I mean, even yesterday, but I wasn't necessarily on the same um same at the same place that he was at when he was coming home. And I remember feeling like, oh, do I need to like tighten that? And I kind of shared earlier mm-hmm. that kind of insecurity of like, I don't know if I can match where he's at and what that's like. And but even just yesterday, he's been home for two weeks and we had a conversation. It was a wonderful conversation about like um, how we really wanted to take both of us wanted to take the time that we could to kind of vision cast on, mm-hmm. on really um, focusing how, what we want our nutrition to be right now. And I don't know, that was kind of like a mile marker of reintegration mile marker of like, oh, look, we're, we're now it's only two weeks in and we're kind of getting on that same page again. We kind of had that fun of eating out and, and whatever, but now we're kind of reintegrating. And so I think sometimes there's things that are happening and maybe that plays out in how you're parenting the kids, or maybe it plays out with how you're kind of enjoying food or not. Um, But there's these things that are happening around you in the home and in your relationship that are oftentimes a good um, litmus test, or it's kind of a good symbol of what's actually happening. And so look for those opportunities where you're actually conversationally on the same page and kind of celebrate those internally of like, oh, we're on the same page. We're kind of, you know, kind of reintegrating and it's all mm-hmm. coming together. So hopefully that makes sense a little bit. That's just kind of what I noticed for us. And it's interesting in that even though I said, you know, every deployment or every separation reintegration is, is, not necessarily easier. It's just different. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. we don't learn along the way. And yeah. I think that's important. However, many times you've been through this really go back and get those lessons learned. You know, we did journal this time. We commute, we focused on communication differently this time and that mm-hmm. we learned a lot from that. And I'm yeah. so thankful that we learned and did something a little bit different. Yeah, I was going to say one, absolutely just hands down wholeheartedly thing. Um, the journaling for me, since as an extrovert, it allowed me to slow down my thinking. 
It allowed me to be a little bit more thoughtful about what I was feeling in a moment or whatever my response was. And that consistently over 160 days reshaped the way that I was responding to things. I can even feel it like right now, normally I'm normally very quick on my feet, but I've grown to be so thoughtful with my words Mm -hmm. that I appreciate um, the opportunity to slow down. And you're an introvert. You love that. Like, that's your thing. Like, sit and read and think. Yeah. Woo. Exciting. (laughs) Right. And so now what I used to be like, why can't you come on? Why can't you banter? Let's let's argue. Let's talk. Let's work this out. And you're like, I need to think. And now I'm like, I can respect that. And Mm -hmm. so in a way, I feel like I've actually grown up to understand you a little bit better. And so at each time that there is a a separation, it gives you an opportunity to redefine yourself, to step back from the the intensity of the face-to-face and to think about like, who am I? Who are we? What do I want to go back? How do do I want to reshape myself so that when, when we walk back into this, this is who I am and this is what I've done. And sometimes it can just be, I feel great that I survived this and kept the kids alive. That could be, yeah, that phenomenal, right? That's a, that is a, that is a, I gutted this out and I am a strong person because it, it doesn't take a lot when things are going well during a deployment to finish well. It does not. Now, if things are going well and yeah, everything's good and you got all the money in the world and woo, everything's a party. Great. I, you know, you probably didn't grow. You probably made a few little changes, but I would almost say the harder the deployment, the like the the better you are on the other side yeah. because you know you know what you can survive you know what you can do you are firmly confident of it and you should never lose that confidence in yourself and your ability well and i think it will be interesting the last part of the series is going to be um next month in june where we're going to do some vision casting and um i'm i'm looking forward mm-hmm. to next month when i have a little bit more hindsight to look back and how i will view myself mm-hmm. um with that hindsight and with that rest and you know will i mm-hmm. will i look back and and kind of beat myself up as much um, as I finished, or will I look back and go, man, that was really hard. And I'm, I'm really proud of myself for how I actually survived all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I mean, I definitely look back on the first deployment and I have a different picture of it than I think how I felt at the end. Yeah. I really do believe that's true. Um, and I just want to throw out one thing about, um, lessons learned, um, and we'll do more lessons learned in, in June. But I think mm-hmm. that as an introvert, one of the things that I would have done different with our journaling is I would have also kept my, as an introvert, I would have kept an additional side journal mm-hmm. um, apart from the journaling that he and I were doing, because I think that that was actually part of my decline is that most of my communication energy was going towards parenting and towards him. And there was a lot of things that I didn't want to put in the journal that I needed to just process out on my own. Cause that wasn't really the space that I necessarily wanted to um, kind of put that first draft if it was a negative thing or something I just needed to kind of work that out of my system Um, but without doing that side journaling on my own on the side I think that that's kind of probably what pent up over time and I didn't put that anywhere and so that was a I think a lesson learned that probably contributed to me struggling there towards the end so I want to be um, authentic with that so I want to answer one and you can I think a lot of those you can actually talk about planning and and, and, uh, scoping 
So one question that came in earlier um, was talking about undiagnosed PTSD trauma yeah, response that's an important one. from high tempo deployments, um, toxic command. Um, and how do I support him through uh, emotional shutdown? Um, I can fully understand that, right? Because coming off the first deployment, I wasn't right for about 18 months, even as a chaplain. Um, and as much as I was having to respond to everything that my service members were going through and to carry their burdens for them and with them and walk alongside them in some very dark places uh, and still do with a few of them, um, 10, 12, gosh, 12, 11 years later after it, um, that it's always going to be there. Those are those are sacred moments, I think, in your service members life that um, with each new season in life, they will reprocess. What's important, uh, number one, you're not the only support network for them. You're a support network for them um, and a safety place for them, but don't attempt to be all of it. What I will say to the service member is that um, go get the help. Okay, look, here's the deal. Look, I, go talk to your, I also, I'm a, I'm a unit chaplain. Go talk to your unit chaplain. If you don't like them, that's fine. There's a lot of chaplains I don't like. That's okay, right? So if you don't like them, Go find another one. Go talk to uh, behavioral health. Go talk to somebody off post. Go find somebody. Even if you have to pay out of pocket, it is so worth it to have a sacred place where you can go and you can just just drop all your stuff mm -hmm. and not have to go pick it back up mm -hmm. for a while to just drop it off for a week and then go back to work and then just go and complain and vent and dare I say cuss and throw it out there because whether it's whether it's combat issues toxic command climate which can almost feel worse honestly in my opinion than than combat issues because it feels like broken trust it feels like betrayal it feels a like a very injury. it's a moral and a spiritual injury where you're just wounded you're supposed to be able to trust and rely on and be taken care of and then all of a sudden you come into a toxic climate where they may not be yelling, they may not be cussing, but they, you just feel like you're always getting gaslighted with something. That's horrible. And it can take so much energy to try and maintain your military bearing in a toxic command climate. And that will wear you down even more than combat. Because especially in combat, you can at least get that out. Okay, You can actually shoot back at a combatant. You can actually get some of that energy out. Mm -hmm. You can't do that in a toxic climate. You just sim sometimes just have to take it. And so you have to go find somebody you can actually talk with, talk to, and to be able to get that out. So I encourage the service member sincerely from the bottom of my heart, go and unpack that and drop that off for somebody that is paid to hold that so that you don't have to walk around holding it. And for the supporting spouse, encourage them to do that, be a listening ear, um, but then also be a guide for like, okay, but for what is true, okay? which is always reminding the service member, okay, these are the things we know to be true and to be right, especially if you're dealing in a toxic climate. Do you have an climate. example of that? Like if you're, you know, like, like if I've ever come home from, you know, any, you know, being in a, in a, in a command climate that was just like, I feel like I'm crazy. I feel like I have to accept that the world is crazy. You remember the one years ago yeah. um, that I actually had to go to counseling for, I actually had to go to a hypnotherapist for, <laughs> I was so messed up in my head and having panic attacks from dealing with my commander. And I'm 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 a chaplain dealing with a brigade commander at that time that I I literally was like, I not only can I not do this, all my other field grades can't do this, and I'm keeping them from losing their stuff too. 
Mm-hmm. It was that bad. And I would come home and I'd be like, do I, do I suck? Am I awful? Do I not know how to do my job? I would come home with all these self doubts mm-hmm. about me and the world. And you served as an anchor anchor. You were like, no, that is not you. That is not true. This is who you are. This is what you're good at. I believe in you and I know that you're doing your best and you know what? This too shall pass. Mm -hmm. Okay. So go be the best you that you can be in that moment and don't let them define you. That was hugely impactful for me, for you to speak life and truth into me in those moments. Well, and let me also encourage those. I think this is such an important topic that that's why it's important for us to spend extra time on it. Um, And so I want to speak to the supporting spouses at home. Um, I I just want to give you a couple of things as well, because we learned a lot, like he's saying. Um, First of all, I would say, yes, be that being that truth speaker. And I know it's really hard. I can't tell you the number of times that I've been that spouse. It's like, can't you set a boundary? Can't you just tell somebody to stop? You know, and like. You know what? I think I'm always going to say that. It, yeah. You know, I know that there's times that you can, and sometimes you can't, right? Like I'm like, time to time to fight. Um, no, but um, but being a truth speaker is really important. Yeah. Um, I would also say, um, and and this is a tightrope kind of feeling of an experience, mm-hmm. but I think that. Um, in some ways, if your spouse is coming home with um, whether it's trauma, a trauma response, or um, or combat fatigue, that's a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's compassion fatigue, or just it's not quite PTSD, but it's kind of close, right? Mm-hmm. They're still reacting. Noises um, ca- cause them to startle. They're doing the hypervigilance. Um, there's panic attacks, or there's just escalation or irritability or, or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to say that um, you do have incredible influence as a spouse to create a little bit of a cushion, right? Mm-hmm. For a period of time, where you, you, I know you're tired and you're weary and you really need that self-care and you need to find ways to ask for that. Right. So maybe in the beginning part of that reintegration, maybe that looks like you still calling on that support and that friend to help with childcare while you go take care of yourself so that you don't overwhelm your spouse who might be not able to handle all of the noise of the kids just yet. Right. There's ways to work that out. So make sure you don't sacrifice yourself. My new phrase lately is, is don't abandon yourself to manage everybody else if you're going in that decline, right? Mm -hmm. Take care of you. But for a period of time, have that cushion there so that um, you're being aware and protective of a little bit of like, I'm not going to like pack the car full of balloons from the airport or from the welcome home ceremony with a service member who's been in combat, right? Those balloons are going to pop and we're going to have like a major startle response. We're going to have a little bit of a a cushion and some understanding. At the same time, um, and to be that buffer when you can for a period of time. But at the same time, I think going back to that truth speaker, there are definitely those times though that you go, hey, I don't know. Um, please tell me what else I can do to support you. Right. But at the same time, I think it's time for you to go get some help yes. because I'm I'm reaching the end of what I know I can do. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I can be a clinician for you. I don't know yeah. if I can be your, your battle buddy. I don't mm-hmm. know if I can be who you need me to be. Mm-hmm. And yet you're not leaving the house. You're not asking for help. And so 
that's where we have good, healthy boundaries in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And Matt and I at various seasons have had to be that for each other. I would say you've been that for me in during this reintegration where he's like, what do you need in order Mm -hmm. to get well? Because he can't do all of those things for me. At some point, I'm the one that has to go and and do whatever I need for that self-care. And that's healthy boundaries in your marriage. So for those of you who might be dealing with somebody who is struggling with coming home and, and readjusting, out of love and kindness, you can provide that cushion, but the healthy boundaries in your relationship are also extremely important too mm-hmm. for you to be that mirror to your spouse. Oh, I was about to say that. That's oh. why, that's why I touched your shoulder. So that's our little cue to each other. Hey, I was going to say, being, uh, being the cushion, being the mirror, um, holding them accountable and in kindness, because here's the thing. If I'm asking you to be my therapist, while you're imminently qualified to do that, that takes you away from being my spouse. And I also may not emotionally be at the place where I can be that no, you either. Never, so. The spouse is never at a place to be a professional therapist mm-hmm. for their spouse. The spouse is never at a place <laughs> to be a professional therapist well, to and, their spouse. And what I meant by that is yeah. you, even what you yeah. feel like you should be able to offer, if you're, you may not even be at that place to right. even offer because what you normally a, be able to offer. It's a different dynamic. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, there are things that, that, uh, that, we will each need from one another in the healing and reintegration process with whatever's happening in our life that if we're too busy doing something else, we're not going to be able to offer that. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Okay. So there's been some um, resources that have been put in the chat, which are great. Given hour is definitely a great for free counseling. I used to be a given hour therapist basically means they're willing to donate to like one family until that family is done with treatment. Um, Donate um, hours. Military one source is non-medical. So it's under the radar. You get about 12 sessions with a clinician Mm -hmm. through military one source as a couple. That's a really easy way, especially for service members to get some quick help, not for severe issues like um, diagnosed PTSD. But if you're not really sure what's happening and you need kind of um, an evaluation on that, uh, Military One Source is great. Your MFLAX are there um, to be able to support you as well. Your chaplain. So there's um, great resources. I have the Life Giver directory on my Life Giver website. Um, that is over 200 clinicians worldwide, the, a lot of the military spouses and veterans who um, are very culturally competent to help you through um, both that take TRICARE or private pay that um, can help you as well. Mm-hmm. So um, to wrap up our time, a lot of the remainder of the questions are really asking about how do you proactively prepare for reintegration? So we're going to kind of cover that really quick. Um, we haven't dived as much into parenting. So this question about do you find planning a lot in advance for reintegration of families with small children to be helpful? I would say yes and no. So I think Mm -hmm. that there are some things that are great to proactively plan, such as maybe you don't um, fill your calendar with a ton of things. Mm -hmm. Like I made the mistake on that first appointment when our kids were small. Um, Well, it wasn't a mistake. It just was kind of a matter of like the kids had a field day that the day he came home um, and I couldn't quite miss field day. um, And yet you needed to come along. And it just was a lot to go through on the first 24 hours. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we did the best we could. I collapsed, you know, on the, um, on the high jump mat, you know, and I was like, tag, you're it. And I probably should have like helped a little bit with that. Yeah. There's a great picture of me just like, that's how exhausted I was. Mm -hmm. And so I would just say, try not to plan too much on your calendar as much as possible. Mm -hmm. But as far as small children, depending on how small they are, school activities are still going on. We, Mm -hmm. it's the end of the year right now. We have band concerts and banquets and things still happening. And so do the best you can, but be flexible with like, who needs to Mm -hmm. go to that 
are both of you going to go to that? Like, no. how do we communicate through that as much as possible? But I will say with planning with, um, with especially with small kids, having regimented schedules um, decreases the amount of change in the environment for the kids. Yeah. For the kids. Which so if you actually, if the kids become the epicenter of, of keeping calm in the home, then just kind of on a glide path of kind of plugging back into those little patterns for a little while, reintegrating, then in case you want to diverge from those. But I, I would, I would never recommend somebody disrupt a young child's yeah. Schedule. So here's how I would say that the, yeah. the younger, the child, the things that are the most important to maintain their emotional security, their sleep schedules, the things yeah. that really are going to um, kind of wreak havoc on their moods, those things, I would do your best to not change them as much as possible, but send those schedules and make sure yeah. your spouse is well-versed in understanding. Here's like kind of what I have figured out this is mm -hmm. the perfect cocktail or recipe for this child to be in as good of a mood as possible. But maybe you're adjusting on other things like um, maybe that bedtime routine where you can be a little bit more flexible and the mm -hmm. service member can read that book instead of you, right? Yeah. Or help with bath time or you're both there for bath time oh. or something like that. So be flexible on the things that aren't going to have them kind of melt into tears, yeah. but stay um, stay on track with schedules on, on the most important things. And then the older the kids get, the more you know, like like we said with our teenagers, like the chores went out the window, like all the routine went out the window for a couple of days and that didn't throw anybody but me, you know, so <laughs> and I needed to handle that and address that with everybody else. Yeah. I threw the temper tantrum. So um, tips on parenting reintegration. How do we get the spouse on board with new routines? Um, send it to them. Do like he said earlier, where um, don't be afraid to sit down and go through as much as possible. What has changed with your kids? Mm -hmm. Um, so that there's as little new surprises yeah. um, as possible. They really do appreciate that. I think more than we give them credit for. Mm -hmm. I think the last, um, there's a couple of questions about um, communicating during the distance. We have all of the resources in the, in the PDF guides that have been in the previous mm -hmm. um, of the series that we've done. We did a whole month on communication. So I'm going to encourage if you're looking for information on intimacy, on parenting, on um, communication, um, things like that, I would encourage you to go back to um, the previous parts of this series where we mm -hmm. really took a whole hour or two to go through some of that. Um, and so we're going to to kind of wrap up this time. I think in closing, I just want to encourage you guys to communicate, mm -hmm. communicate through your reintegration. Even if you feel like it's just you being insecure and feeling like you're emotionally all over the place. Mm -hmm. That was definitely me this time. Um, I'm glad for the times that I spoke up and even the times that were really hard where I felt really vulnerable and really just kind of felt stupid for saying what I needed to say. It was more important that I just let him know where I was at. Even if it was just like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to get through it, but this is just what I'm feeling. Or this was the reaction that I had when you said such and such to the kids, like I'm not proud of it, but it's kind of what I'm going through and I'm having a hard time shaking it off. Um, honestly, he is my, he's my battle buddy. And there are battles that if you're going on in your mm -hmm. own head, these battles, and you're not really winning those battles then go to your spouse and communicate those things so they mm -hmm. can join you in the fight. Um, cause that's the, they're your person.
person. That's what they're there for. And then if you as a couple are really struggling with, you're not really winning those battles together, then go and invite somebody to help you through, um, through that and get the professional help that you need. Spouses, support spouses. Mm -hmm. um, I would encourage you to go get counseling during um, the separation. Um, looking back, I wish that I would have probably done that and done some telehealth and taken my own advice. I was doing a lot of telehealth for other people. It probably would have been beneficial for me to have that myself. Mm -hmm. um, but even reintegration, there's no shame in going and getting professional help to help you with the reintegration, even if things are going fine. Mm -hmm. Counseling can be a great time to celebrate what you're doing right. It's not always just what's going wrong. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's great to have somebody go, actually, you guys are doing pretty good. Keep up the good work. Maybe tweak it here or there, but otherwise you're doing a great job. Um, so get the help. It's it's there and it's available if you need it. Okay. Yeah. Any closing no. things that you want to say? Be patient and be graceful with yourself and one another. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another part of the series. Join us in June. We're working out on the dates on that. Um, Matt's going to get back to us on, on when he can join us for the last one in June. Um, but be on the lookout. We're going to talk a lot about vision casting. Um, we're going to do a lot of like lessons learned from like with better hindsight of what we learned overall from our time apart. But a lot about what it what it looks like to learn from anything that you've gone through that's difficult in the military lifestyle and vision cast going forward mm -hmm. of how are we going to be different from this point forward forward given what we've gone through and what we've learned. So mm -hmm. be on the lookout for that in June. Thanks guys. Thank you for listening to the Life Giver podcast. If you're enjoying these episodes, please share the podcast with other service couples that may benefit from the show. If you'd like more information about me or Life Giver, head on over to coreyweathers.com or life-giver.org.